So, hey guys, are you frustrated with where you're at right now? Maybe stunted in your progress? Well, if you are, I want to recommend a place for you to go called Growth Day. Growthday.com forward slash ed. It is the number one personal development app on the planet. It's got all kinds of high performance techniques in there, courses, accountability, journaling, live speeches from some of the top influencers in the world, including me. It's an overall environment to change your life. Growthday.com forward slash ed eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is The Ed Milet Show. Hey, welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm honored to have this man here for the second time. The first time he was on the show, I sought him out saying, please come on the show because his book had made such an impact on me. And now he's got a new book out, by the way, before I introduce him, called Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. And it's a topic, as you all know, that I am fascinated by because I talk a lot about it on the show, except he's way more qualified than me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the reason he's way more qualified than me is this guy is a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he's a renowned expert on habits. And also now after reading his work, he's an expert on communication. So Charles Dewey, welcome back to the show. Thank brother. you, Ed, for having me on. This is such a treat for me. Yeah, Thank I you love so you, much. brother. You're going to listen to a big brain today, everybody, on a topic that you need to know more about. I got to tell you why I love your book so much. What, we were just talking about kids off camera. Yeah. There's a few things I want my kids to have left my house with. One, I want them to have some faith, which is their morals and ethics. I want them to have some work ethic, self-confidence. And if I could give them a fourth thing, it would be the ability to be an outstanding communicator. And I just think it's one of the things that is the most important elements of life. I'm sure you agree. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the things that you mentioned before that are really important. Because if you you could be a great communicator, and if you don't have values, if you don't have discipline, mm-hmm. then it's not necessarily going to get you anyplace. But the difference between people who have those first three things and then don't know how to communicate is that they stall out at some point, right? Mm. They like they have trouble in their marriage. They have trouble like communicating with their their spouse or their partner. They oftentimes stall out at work because the thing that made them successful at work, mm-hmm. once you become a manager, it's not just doing that. It's about helping other people learn how to do that. Mm. And also, there's a huge amount of self-discovery that comes from conversation, right? Like when I talk to you and you talk to me, we learn things about ourselves through Mm -hmm. what we say. And it takes someone talented, a super communicator to draw that out, to Mm -hmm. know how to, how to make the space for that. That's interesting. You learn about yourself too. I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. You know, I, I almost feel like after I was reading your book and by the way, everybody, it is outstanding. This man does not write average books. He just doesn't. And he sells a lot of them for a reason. And I almost feel like after reading it, I think I thought this before, but almost your ability to communicate will be the cap 
on your life to some extent. It's the cap on your relationship. The intimacy level in your relationship, for example, to some extent is limited or enhanced by your ability to communicate nonverbal cues, verbal cues, your ability to lead and move people in business, your family environment, friendships. I mean, the cap on your your success level in those areas is almost directly correlated to communication. I absolutely. So my um, my father passed away about six years ago, so. and I went to his funeral. And there were so many more people there. There were people that, like, I hardly remembered. Like, people, I was so surprised. And I was talking to them, and I was like, you know, like, thank you for coming. And they would all say the same thing. They'd say, like, I loved talking to your dad. Mm. Right? That's why they showed up is mm. because they had they had this relation. They had a connection with him. Do you think it's because of, I think one thing human beings have, Charles, is you're always making people feel something. Yeah. Yet, I think most people are oblivious to that fact. They're feeling something from you in a moment. Your interest level, your energy, your frequency, your trustworthiness, your ability to elevate them. So do you think with your dad, for example, it wasn't just, you know, talking with him, but it was how he made other people feel. That's exactly what it was. So so sometimes when people ask me, like, who, how do you define a super communicator? I, the the yeah. easiest answer is to say, okay, think of the person you would call if you were having a bad day. Right, like you're having a terrible day. You, there's someone you call. You know they're going to make you feel better. Yeah. Like, like who would that person be for you? It would have been my dad. Okay, for sure. Before he passed away, that was that came right to me. Call my dad. And my guess is that if I met your dad, what I would see is he's not the funniest person in your life. No. He's not the most charismatic person in your life. But what he did is he proved to you that he was listening to you, that he heard what you said, mm. and then he he reciprocated your vulnerability mm. or your joy or your sadness mm. he shared it with you and as a result you walked away feeling like what i'm experiencing what i'm thinking what i'm feeling this is like this is profound and this is real you're right and it's been validated and you don't need your dad to validate it like it's still real to you but to have someone else feel like have them feel like they genuinely want to understand you that's right that feels wonderful in fact it's hardwired into our brain to feel wonderful yeah I just did this, and I did a podcast on it, so I'll ask you this. How much of communication do you think is actually the ability to listen correctly? A huge amount. A huge amount. So, and, and, and let me say that, that there's this thing about listening, which is when I'm talking, whatever you're doing, I'm probably not going to pay attention to it. Because so, it's so cognitively intense to try and speak that even though I'm going to make eye contact with you, and, and I'm going to kind of notice if you're frowning or smiling or whatever it is, I'm really not going to pick up on the signals you're sending me. So listening is not just hearing what the person is saying. It's what you do after they finish talking. Because if you do this thing where you prove to me that you've been listening, and, and in the psychology literature, this is actually referred to as looping for understanding. Okay. That particularly if you have a conflict with someone, the best way to, to sort of bring the tension down is ask a question, repeat back what you hear the person says in your own words. Okay. And then step number three, which is the one we usually forget, is ask them if you got it right. Mm. And if I do that, so when you think about it, so I'm listening to you. I have to listen closely to you because I'm need. i thinking i got to repeat back what you're saying in my own words. i got to process it. But most importantly, you know that I've been listening based on what I say after you're done speaking. Mm. And that's really what active listening is. It's about not just passively receiving, it's about amplifying. Very good. Well, that is really good. It's, I mean, and the thing is, it's so easy to do. Like once I learned this, 
Like I find myself doing it all the time without even realizing it. Like I'll, I'll be like, what I hear you saying is, and, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong. And like, it just feels so natural. Like it, it feels, it totally feels automatic. so good to have somebody say that back to you. Right. Because you do get the feeling with most people, I think they do two things. One, they're really more concerned with what they're about to say back to you. Yes. And two, I call them verbal nudges where they're interrupting you too often or uh-huh, 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 which you think is a form of agreement. But I think to some extent, sometimes you're almost saying, I got it. Okay. Can I say something now? Yeah. And that's you're almost exactly nudging right. them to finish rather than letting them finish. That's I think that's exactly true. Mm. And I think that part of this is understanding what the goal of a conversation is. Okay. So it's easy to go into a conversation and think the goal is to, to convince this person I'm right, or maybe even the goal is just to come to agreement on something. That's wrong. The goal of a conversation is simply to understand what the other person is trying okay. to tell you. So that means that if I'm listening to you and you say something that I think is crazy, you wouldn't say this, but sure. but lizard people run the world or whatever it is. It, if I, I'm not going to agree with you and I'm probably not going to convince you that you're wrong, mm -hmm. but as long as I understand how you see the world, as long as I ask you a question, what's known as a deep question where I say like, why is this important? Like, what is it about this that seems really meaningful and important to you? Mm -hmm. You're going to tell me something about who you are. I'm going to repeat back what you've told me about like, I care about lizard people because I, I really think the elites of this world right. are, are like are like having this pernicious effect on, on the working class. I'm going to repeat that back to you. I'm going to ask you if I got it right. I'm not going to agree with you and you're not going to agree with me, but simply understanding each other means we have succeeded. And it feels good, right? It does. I'm just thinking of like political discourse, you know, like just really understand where they're coming from. I'm not going to win this. I have to tell you, your work's so good because... It's actually the part of conversations, I think it's why I have a podcast. I really enjoy not only understanding what somebody's saying, but also like why they're saying it. What's yeah. this come from? I'm in an Uber. I basically interview almost every Uber <laughs> driver I ever have, right? But I, I love that by the end of a good 20 or 30 minute ride, I find out where these belief systems stem from yeah. too. I've had a, I was in one recently where this guy was way right, like way, way right. And uh, no matter what you believe politically, but I mean, I was like, whoa. And I'm like trying to understand and trying to understand. And I've also had this conversation with someone who's way left. But it ended up that at the end, I found out that he had come from a communist country. He had actually had family that were murdered by communists. And it, whether I agreed with him or not, that's not the point of this show. But I actually had a much deeper understanding of the basis from which he's formed these opinions. And I really felt connected with this person. Absolutely. So you're right. Okay, so let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. Sure. So when you're in that Uber, when you're having that... What's the second or third question you ask? Because because you could be like, hey, you know, where are you from? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm from Europe. Like, what are you asking next to, to get you from the shallow to the deep? Oh, that's a really good question. I usually ask them, I, I open them up a little bit. I say, give me your craziest story. Oh, interesting. So I actually ask them to give me one of their crazy ride stories. I'm actually fascinated by that. So it kind of opens them up and they get loose. I didn't yeah. do it tactically, but I found that like, well, you're kidding me. That did that. And, and then typically for me, just because I'm most intrigued by it, I love to know about people's families. And I actually also think people love to talk about their families typically too. So usually I'll ask them, are you married? Do you have children? And I know that sounds like basic stuff, but I find for me that that's an entree into learning an awful lot about these folks. What I love about that yeah. is that what, and I think you got this by intuition, mm -hmm. is, is that, so these deep questions, if we ask people deep questions, 
deep questions are things that ask us about our values, our beliefs, or our experiences. Okay. So what's the craziest ride you've ever given someone is asking this guy about his experiences. Very good. Okay. Right? Like, t- tell me about your kids. Like, what are your kids like? Mm-hmm. Is it, At some point, he could just be like, I have two kids. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you're probably going to say like, oh, you know, do they like school? What are they right. like? Where do they go to school? Are, yeah. you, are you worried about their future? Yeah. You're going to ask something that's going to get him to reveal to you who he really is. You're right. And by the way, I always look at people like, I, 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 this is an overall belief system. This person's a gift. I want to open them up. It's yes. really how I look at them. And in this guy's I case, love that. I just got to tell you, in this guy's case, really quick, just an interjection. This dude was amazing. It turns out that the reason he's driving Uber is he has a daughter at Harvard <laughs> and a son at Stanford, right? And he's putting them through school. And if you knew where this man came from, it was remarkable. And the pride he had in his children and his wife and that they had raised them and that they were there. And it became this like really beautiful conversation where not only did I admire, I was like, whoa, this is an incredible, the life you've built, the sacrifice you're making. And he had a full-time day job, drove, and it became kind of this conversation. We talked about our children. And by the time I was done, I actually really had a connection with this man yeah. that I probably won't, I'm, ch- I'm talking about him on my podcast Yeah, now, right? right. So let me ask you this. Okay. The, the details of the work, guys, we're going to get into now. There are really three conversation types, okay? I didn't know there were. I was kind of oblivious to this, but I think just this alone would enlighten people so they know which conversation they're in and they can identify it. So Absolutely. share and some th- of that. This is a big discovery from the last decade, and we're kind of living through this golden age of understanding communication hmm. in, for the first time in a new way. And what, what the first thing that researchers have found is that we think of a discussion as being about one thing. We're talking about my book, or we're talking about your kids. Yeah. But actually, every conversation is made up, every discussion is made up of different kinds of conversations that ebb and flow. And most of those different kinds of conversations fall into one of three buckets. There's a practical conversation where we're talking about plans or making decisions together or we're fixing problems. Politics is often this. There's an emotional conversation where if I tell you how I'm feeling about something, I do not want you to fix it for me. I want you to acknowledge that you've heard it and I want you to tell me... To, to sort of be vulnerable with me. Mm. And then there's a social conversation. And a social conversation is about how we relate to each other in society, how we think other people see us, how our identities, right? Mm. How our identities shape how we see the world in different and interesting ways. Mm. And the key is, there's this thing known as the matching principle, which is if I'm having an emotional conversation and you respond with a practical conversation, even though both of what we're saying is legit, we're not going to hear each other. That is outstanding. This happens at home, like I, with my spouse all the time. Mm-hmm. I come home, I've had a tough day at work. I'm complaining about my boss. Mm-hmm. My wife says, she solves the problem. She says, why don't you go and like take him out to lunch and get to know each other better? And instead of being like, that's really good advice. I'm like, you don't understand. You're not listening to me. <laughs> like, Very good, Charles. Yeah. So, so if she matches me mm-hmm. and then invites me to match her, mm-hmm. then we're having the same kind of conversation. Then we can hear each other. <laughs> You just explained 25 years of problems. <laughs> no, because I'm coming home to an emotional conversation and I'm I'm not in one sometimes. Yeah. What about, what advice would you give to somebody who, I can't, we were talking about socially, I just moved and you were asking about the move and I, yeah. said, I said, you know, I kind of revert back to myself socially. And uh, uh, I think I would categorize myself, it would surprise most people listening to the show, but I'm very quiet and very shy. And I find a lot of public speakers are, by the way. A lot of entertainers yeah. privately are very, I'd call an introvert. Yeah. Do you have any advice for an introvert as it comes to communication like this? So I think 
one of the things I heard you just say when you were talking about that Uber driver is you got into the car yeah. and he had one identity, which is right wing. Yeah. And you asked him some deep questions mm -hmm. that were easy to ask. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't seem intimate. Mm -hmm. And he started telling you about his other identities. And once he, once he complicated himself, once he said like, look, I'm not just one thing, I'm three and four and five things. All of a sudden, it's easy to feel close to that person because some of those things he is, you are too. And so I think when it comes to introverts or when you move to a new place, like one of the things that I like to do is you meet someone at a party or a barbecue or whatever it is. And like, I often ask them, you know, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And then I'll often say, you know, they say, I'm a lawyer. And I say, you know, do you love practicing the law? Like, did you just, did, did what made you decide to become a lawyer? Like when was the moment you decided to become a lawyer? Mm -hmm. What inevitably they say is something that tells me about their other identities, mm -hmm. which is, I became a lawyer because I saw my dad get arrested and I wanted to fight for the, for the underdog. Or I became a lawyer because we were poor mm. and I wanted to always have enough money. Or I became a lawyer because I love intellectual stimulation. Mm. Like think of those, those three answers just told me so much about uh, those different people. Mm. And at that point I can say to them, yeah, I told I grew up poor too. Like mm -hmm. I understand what that's like. Mm. And now suddenly we feel safe with each other. Mm. I think, I, this isn't necessarily true for introverts, but for when we're in new social situations and we were talking about how hard it is to make friends when you don't have friends yes. in a place, the thing that often stops us is just a little mild anxiety. You're right. Oh, I, at least mild with me. Yeah, yeah. At least mild with me. And and how are we going to start the conversation? How are we going to get out of the conversation? How like? Okay, that's mine. Okay, that's mine. To be and candidly, like, so I well, I love that we're going there. <laughs> So, hey, guys, as you know, I've partnered up with my good friend, Brennan Bruchard, who's created the greatest personal development system that has ever been designed called Growth Day. There's everything from journaling to accountability programs, live messages every Monday from myself and other influencers. There's an opportunity for you to, to get courses that would cost thousands of dollars completely for free. It's incredible. Go to growthday.com forward slash ed and check it out. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? Then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a full body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See eBay Motors. Hey, guys, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, in all of my businesses, and I've been blessed to have several of them, I've used Indeed now for a number of years. And the main reason I do it is, I, if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bunch of time interviewing people that aren't qualified for the positions that I have. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Or they are qualified, but they're not interested in making the move at the given time. And so with Indeed, you have a thing called Instant Match where they match you with quality candidates within 24 hours. And you're in front of people that want the job, that are qualified for it, and that you probably want to hire. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They've delivered great candidates to multiple businesses that I have right now. So here's what's great. Listeners and viewers on my show, you get a $75 sponsored job credit right now to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MyLet. Just go to Indeed.com slash MyLet, which is M-Y-L-E-T-T, -T, right now. And you can support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That would be great, by the way. Indeed.com slash MyLet. Terms and conditions apply. 
You need to hire. You need Indeed. My, I'm okay opening a conversation. How are you? You know, where yeah. are you, you know, for me, it's how does this end? How does this end? I bet everybody driving or listening to these is like, no, that's something I would that's, like to know more right. about. If how I'm does on this the bus end? I have the most to... awkward finishes of conversations of any dude you've ever met in your life. I'm like, okay, well, hey. And I usually end up the conversation with some sort of BS or something. You're like, I'm going to use the restroom. Right, right, I don't right, know how to right. get away from you. I have to go refresh my glass. It's still half, <laughs> half full. So, okay, so, so actually um, Daniel Gilbert at Harvard actually did an entire study trying to figure out how people end conversations. Yeah. And do does the other person want to end at the same time you do? And what he found was two things. Number one, he found that you think I want you to end the conversation because I'm I'm getting bored. And actually, I am enjoying this conversation. We do a difficult job of gauging the other person's interest in the conversation. Okay. But then sometimes we want to end the conversation, right? And yes. so this is this is what super communicators do. Okay. They forecast it without committing to it immediately. So they say something like, oh, man, this is so interesting. I totally got to go like freshen up my drink. But before I do, like, <laughs> let me ask you like X, because oftentimes the, the end of the conversation feels hard because it feels awkward. Yes. But if you've already set the table mm -hmm. and you're like, you're like, I got to step away, but this is so fascinating. Let me ask you one more thing. Gotcha. Then when they're done answering the question, you're like, oh man, thank you so much. And you just turn away. That's not awkward. I love that. That's that, that's pre-framing the conclusion. That's exactly right. Very good. That's exactly right. A lot of what you're saying, I'm listening, is it has to do with the questions you're asking. I think a lot of people look at conversations or communication like, what am I telling somebody? What am I saying? And I'm sure there's an element of that that we'll get to in a minute too. But so far, a lot of the things you've been suggesting involve questions you're asking somebody. And I have to say this to you. I'm amazed how many people I talk to in social environments and business environments that don't ask that never any ask questions. questions. I know. I know. And and I can't figure out, I think that for some of them, they're just not practiced at it. Mm. And it is, it, like, that's the thing about super communication. Anyone can be a super communicator. It's literally just a set of skills. Like, you just have to practice the skills and make them into habits. Nobody's born knowing how to do this. Mm. But I, I have the same, it drives me crazy. I ask question after question, and then they they answer, and then they stop talking, and they're waiting for my next question. I'm like, yep. like, is there any, so here's the thing, here's the thing that you're exactly right. 50%, if not more of a good conversation is asking good questions. Okay. But then something happens. There's a difference between a conversation and an interrogation, right? Or an interview. Yeah. And th this gets into what's known as emotional reciprocity. And emotional reciprocity is basically one of the strongest impulses that all humans have. If somebody engages in emotional reciprocity, we can't help but feel a little bit closer and a little bit more trusting of them. Mm. So emotional reciprocity says, if you say something vulnerable, yes, and then I recognize, I acknowledge that vulnerability, but I also show that I can be vulnerable, mm -hmm. then we're going to feel like we can trust each other. Mm. And so, and that's about speaking. So that doesn't mean if you say, my dad passed away, I should be like, oh, I understand completely because my aunt passed away 12 years ago. Like that's stealing the spotlight from you, right? Okay. But if you say my dad passed away and I say, oh man, I like, I know how hard that can be. Like, mm -hmm. tell me about your dad. What was he like? Oh gosh, that was, that's good. Right? That's and then like, good. and then, and what I'm signaling to you is A, I'm interested in you. I want to hear from you. I want to understand you. But B, you learned something about me. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested, you can, you can say like, like, I, tell me, tell me how you know about this. Like what happened? What about being 
of being the server first, serving the vulnerability first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. There's a guy named Nick Apley at the University of Chicago who's in the book. Mm. And like Nick is so good at this. Every conversation I've ever had with him, he says something in the conversation near the start of the conversation that feels so intimate. Yeah. And as a result, I'm just like, I love this guy. Like I yeah. just want to talk to him. And again, when I look at the transcripts, because I'm oftentimes talking to him for reporting. And when I read the transcript, it doesn't seem too intimate. It doesn't seem overly intimate, but he says things like, you know, hey, Nick, how are you doing? Like, instead of saying, oh, fine, mm -hmm. says something like, yo, it's great. I, like, went to my son's soccer game this weekend, it was, and, like, we adopted these kids from Ethiopia. And, like, just watching them now as these, like, strong young men, mm -hmm. like, it, it, was, it was a great weekend. Brother, and, you're and then, on it. Right, and he's yeah. offered that up. And at that yeah. point, I'm like, Man, I'll tell you all about myself. Let me tell you about me. <laughs> I think I also trust you more when you do that. Absolutely. I think when someone's so surface all the time, and by the way, this applies for a lot of you that are in sales too. Yes. Being willing to be a little bit vulnerable, not always the expert, but a little bit vulnerable, a little bit transparent, a little bit revealing. I believe it's, it, well, no, I think it's just a better way to live, but it does bond and connect you. It makes you human. Oftentimes when you're in sales, people look at you like you're almost their adversary. Like, I can't trust this guy That's or right. this lady. But when you begin to show some vulnerability and some authenticity, I think that's when you don't start to break down the barriers. And I found that in my own life Absolutely. over and over. Trust is huge, mm. right? I mean, so so we have communication is humans' superpower. Like it's the reason as a species we have been so successful is that we can talk to each other and we can build, we can share knowledge, we can build families and communities. All of that is based on communication. And communication over the millennia has been hardwired into our brain. Mm. And so as a result, when, when somebody communicates well with me, I trust them because I literally have 2 million years of evolution in my head mm. that says, trust the guy who it seems like can, wants to understand you mm -hmm. and that is sharing with you. I agree. <laughs> this is so good. This is probably going to go a little longer than normal guys. No, I love it. I really I love, love this, yeah. right? Um, I just think, I hope those of you that are listening or watching understand the importance in your life, as I said earlier, of getting good at this because it's the cap on your bliss. It's the cap on your laughter. It's the cap on your intimacy. It's the cap on your influence and persuasion. Yeah, absolutely. It, what, a, what about difficult conversations? Yeah. Are those different in nature? And are they, I mean, having to, you know, say, hey, listen, your job performance isn't very good or I'm frustrated with you or, you know, something that's, it's, it, you know, you're going into it knowing, gosh, I wish I didn't have to have this conversation, yeah. but I do. Yeah. Or sometimes they catch you off guard, right? We're mm -hmm. like, I'm talking about one thing and all of a sudden I realize you're furious at me. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't pick up on that until just now. Mm -hmm. And so the answer is they abide by the same rules, but the fact that you're in conflict changes the context enormously because we were just talking about trust, right? Yeah. I can establish trust by, by sharing something about myself. But if you go into a conversation where there's conflict, Trust is already out the window, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, it, you are, your fight or flight is going off in your head like crazy. You can't trust someone easily just because like yes. they ask you a question. Mm -hmm. so, so, and this has been a focus of a lot of study. How do we make conversations in conflict better? And there's basically two things. The first one is, I mentioned this looping for understanding, right? Asking a question, repeating back what you heard, and then, and then asking if you got it right. That's enormously powerful in conflict. Because the first thing, the first suspicion I have, if you disagree with me and we're in conflict with each other, is you're waiting your turn to speak. Yeah. 
you're not hearing what I'm saying, right? Yep. You're just waiting there, yep. and like I'm going to tell you my piece, and then you're going to just bulldoze over me, and I'm going to bulldoze back. So if you interrupt that by proving you are listening, using looping for understanding to prove, I really want to understand what you're saying. Help me understand. I'm taking a huge amount of mistrust off the table. Mm. The second thing that often happens in conflict, and this happens a lot in marriages, this actually comes from marriage therapy and studies of marriage therapy, is that it is natural when we feel threatened to want to control things. And the easiest thing to control is the other person. Mm -hmm. So you tell me your thing and I'm like, no, 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 you don't know the evidence. Let me show you the evidence. You say something and you're like, I, I'm, I'm not even going to listen to this. I try and control you. I try and tell you what you should believe, what you should feel. That's toxic, right? Mm -hmm. In a marriage, that is the thing that destroys marriage. The alternative is I have a need for control. You have a need for control. We feel threatened. Can we find things to control together? Ooh. So for instance, can we control the timing of this fight? Instead of having it at two in the morning, can we wait till it's 10 a.m. and we're both a little bit more rested? Can we control ourselves? Can I let you know, I'm going to take a second before I speak and I'm going to think about what you just said. Can I show you that I'm trying to control myself and invite you to control yourself? Mm -hmm. And the third thing is we can control the boundaries of the conflict itself. So one of the most toxic patterns in marriages is this thing called kitchen sinking, where we start arguing about like <laughs> where we're going to go for New Year's. And then like five minutes later, it's like, and your mother hates me and you don't earn enough money. And like, why are you such a jerk all the time? Mm -hmm. Right? So a fight about one thing becomes a fight about everything. Yeah. The healthy way to do that is to say, we need to have a fight. Like we, we have a disagreement on something. Mm -hmm. Let's control the boundaries of it. We're talking about New Year's Eve. If my mother comes up and your money comes up, like we're just going to set it aside. That's another <laughs> conversation another day. Very good. But then when we're controlling these three things, we're controlling... We're controlling ourselves, we're controlling um, the conversation, the environment, and we're controlling the boundaries of the fight or the, the conflict. We're controlling those as partners, mm. right? We're on the same side of the table. We might not agree on the topic we're discussing, right. but you and I are partners now mm. in controlling the right things in this fight instead of trying to control each other. That's outstanding. When you're talking about relationships and family, where my First off, I've made those mistakes. Me too. I'm a pretty good kitchen sinker, now yeah. that you term it that way. Yeah. And so I think I've gotten better at it. I also think the longer with you, you're with somebody, you have more stuff in the sink. And so it's even more important <laughs> to uh, avoid that and have that control of the parameters around the conversation. I right. How long have you been married for? Is 26 years. Okay, so I'm coming up on 20. And yeah. there, and I'm sure this has happened to you, but tell me if, it, if yeah. I'm getting this wrong, which is there are... There are these things, literally, I can say two words, and I know the entire <laughs> fight in my in my wife's head, right? It's like, it's like, and sometimes I don't even mean to say them. Yep. I'm just like, I like, I'll, I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, it's because like I earn more money than you. And then I'm like, oh, nuts. Like, there we go. I just right. stepped in it. Like all to kitchen sink it. All I had to say was literally three words. <laughs> you brought the whole thing. Yeah. And so the, the immediate thing I do is I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. Whoops. Right, yeah. Exactly. I did not mean to do that. Yes. Like, tell me what you're feeling. Cause I want to, I want to mm -hmm. give you a chance, but like, you know what? I've gotten better at that Charles with my kids too, of huh. saying, you know what? I'm sorry. Let me take that right back. Whereas before I'd almost double down or yeah. they didn't really feel it that bad. It'll, it'll be brushed under and no, sometimes you just have to, in the moment, go, I'm, let me yank that one back. And not only are you connecting with them, but, but think about the modeling you're doing. Right. You're teaching them mm -hmm. how to communicate with other people. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm absolutely certain your kids are going to 
copy that without even realizing it comes from dad. Yeah. You're making me think of young people when you say that. I want you to give you, can we teach this to young people? I'll tell you why I ask. Yeah. I have great conversations with my kids. Bella, don't take this the wrong way, sweetheart, when you're listening to this. But <laughs> lately with my daughter, I love doing kind of dates with my daughter and I. She's a, she's a sophomore in college. And I watch her with other people. She's quite the conversationalist. But with me, and she's not disinterested, but when we're talking, there's a lot of, yep, yeah, right, yeah. uh-huh. And at one point, we were taking a walk on the beach over Christmas, and I said, Bella, this is kind of a serve and volley type thing here. Like, I serve, <laughs> and you return the serve, and then I hit the ball back to you, and you hit it back to me, to your point of ask me something. Right. You know, so so it made me wonder, is there anything different? And maybe she's not even quite at that age I'm talking about, but if I have an 8, a 9, a 10-year-old, I – I'm always blown away when I meet a child who is a tremendous communicator, makes yeah. eye contact, shakes your hand. Mr. Milet, how are you? What do you do? Like when they ask, I'm like, the, automatically what I think, these are great parents. Yes. I think immediately. <laughs> these are tremendous parents. So is there anything with young people that can that these skills can be taught? Anything unique that you would say that goes with young people? Absolutely. So I think that there's two things. Let's talk about the older kids first, like okay. your daughter's age. So I, I had a friend whose daughter just went to college and he had a conversation with her before he, he left, which I've now imitated and I love. He sat down with her and he was like, look, you're definitely going to call us when something important happens in your life. Mm -hmm. But if that's the only time you call, then by definition, you're not calling us that frequently. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to lose contact with each other. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to do is I want you to call me for the unimportant things. Right. You had a you had a bad day, but it's not a big deal. You ate something good for lunch. You're working on this paper, and it's kind of interesting. You know, we don't have to talk for more than five or seven minutes, right? Yeah. But I want you to call me and tell me about the unimportant stuff because the important stuff will take care of its on of itself. Mm -hmm. And that and and so my son went off to boarding school. He's at boarding school right now um, here in California, and it's his first year there. He's in tenth grade, and I told him this. He calls me every day. Very, very. I actually talk more to this kid yeah. with him at boarding school than I did when he was at home. Yes. So for older kids, that's the thing is to is to say this is a priority. Like conversation is something none of us are born super communicators. We can all learn how to do it. Mm. This is a skill you should practice, very and good. it's because it's important. Yep. For the younger kids, it's a little bit harder, right? Yes. But I think for them, this is where the deep questions become so powerful. So my younger one, same thing. How was school today? Good. What'd you learn? Nothing. Right. Like, so, and, and so some of the advice is like, be like, oh, well, you know, did pirates show up today? And you can do that a couple times. But at some point, if you ask them a question where, where you're asking them to tell you who they are, like, 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 uh, I know that you said that you like science more than you like math. I'm just wondering, like, why? Like, what is it? Was it about science? Like, I mean, is science important to you? Like, mm -hmm. You, you told me you wanted to hang out with your friend, and I'm just wondering, like, yeah. what is it? What do you like about that friend? Like, what is special to him? Yeah. What's great about that is that, first of all, it's clearly not judgmental, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm like, what'd you learn today? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of judging. <laughs> like, good point. You, yeah. you better sh should have learned something today. Very good point. But second of all, I'm, I'm matching him, and I'm allowing him to set the stage. Mm -hmm. It's not that he's playing on my ball court. Mm. I'm saying to him, tell me your ball court. Mm. And that's powerful. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started the show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business, and now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store, 
or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. If you've been listening or watching the show for a long time, you know what a big believer in NetSuite I am. I've been talking about them now for years. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors, which is why I've been using them now for five years myself. Over 37,000 other companies have as well. They've made the moves. Do the math. Now you'll see profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mylet, netsuite.com slash mylet, M-Y-L-E-T-T, netsuite.com slash mylet. You do a lot of gestures when you talk. Oh, yeah? I don't know if you noticed that. Well, you're expressive in your face. I mean, this, is, um, this may not even be in the book, but I want to ask you about it. So you're expressive with your face. You use your hands. And I'm wondering if nonverbal cues are part of being a super communicator. Because I've had people say, I'm really excited to be here. And I'm like, you should tell your face. You should you should email your face and let them know that you're excited to be here. So I think a lot of it is I'm reading things you're not saying when I talk to somebody as well. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. And and to be a super communicator, you don't have to have nonverbal, right? Because there's okay. people who like on the phone are fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you're good at one thing, you're usually good at everything. Okay. But but similarly with you, like you you clearly should telegraph non-verbally or non-linguistically, you telegraph your interest. You telegraph what you're hearing. And that's very, very powerful. And there's a kind of a, a, a science behind it. And we've learned a lot of it from looking at laughter. So the interesting thing about laughter is studies show that about 80% of the time when all of us laugh, it is not in response to something funny. Okay. Right. So we've laughed a couple of times in this, in this interview, yeah. but I haven't said anything that funny, right? right? Like <laughs> okay. you just laughed. Yeah. I'm not that funny a guy. Okay. So what happens when we laugh? Okay. What a laugh actually is, is it's saying to the other person, I want to connect with you. I'm going to show you that I want to connect with you. And then when they laugh back, and 90% of the time when I laugh, the person I'm talking to will laugh back. Huh. They're saying, I want to connect back. That's tremendous. So that's a non-linguistic communication. And what I love is actually NASA for a time. I was going to ask this. you this. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yep. So they were trying to figure out how to find emotionally intelligent astronauts. Yeah, you're going to and, and like the problem is, Everyone who applies to be an astronaut, if you make it to the final stages, you're you're like a golden boy or girl, right? Like, thousand percent. Yeah, you know how to yes. answer every question. Yes. You've practiced everything. Yes. And they're like, we can't figure out who's actually emotionally intelligent and who fakes it really, really well. But when they're in space on a six-month mission, the difference is going to matter a lot. Huge. 
Yeah. So wow. this one psychologist, he started realizing if I pay attention to how people laugh, most importantly, do they match my laughter? So he would come into a room and he would accidentally spill papers accidentally. He actually did it on purpose. And then he would laugh uproariously and he would watch what that candidate would do. Some candidates would be like, because you know you're supposed to laugh, right? Mm -hmm. And then other people would be like, that's I, let me help you with that. Like I, mm -hmm. the astronauts who matched him, not just on laughter, but he would tell a sad story mm -hmm. and see if the other person, if the other person empathized, if they, if they engaged in reciprocity, if they asked him questions about it. Mm -hmm. So that's non-linguistic, mm -hmm. but it tells us mm -hmm. whether that person wants to, to connect. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately, I think when I'm making gestures, I'm inviting you to sh I'm inviting you in, right? I'm saying like, yes. like here, here I am. Like, yes. I want you to see what I'm seeing. I hope what everybody's getting out of this is like, these are skills that can be learned. There's Absolutely. an art and a science to this. You said, uh, I'm glad you asked that. I was going to ask you about the NASA thing. You also said emotional intelligence. So I just feel like that's at the root of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So how big of a component is just being sort of, I think also, let me say this. So emotionally aware is another word that I would use as well. Emotionally aware it's is a, a part of having emotional intelligence. You agree with that? Absolutely. So yeah. I, th this phrase emotional intelligence is actually kind of a misnomer because it makes us think it's like IQ. Right. We're either born with it or you're not, but it's not. Mm. Emotional uh, intelligence is emotional awareness. Okay. If I say to myself and I train myself to say a priority is noticing when someone else is feeling something mm. and matching that and, and giving them the space for that. That is emotional intelligence. That's the thing that's going to make make it make it feel like you understand them, that you can empathize with them. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 not hard, right? It's just about making it a priority. Yeah. There's a there's in the book a lot of examples of that. There's actually just great stories in the book. Give me one because I want them to get the book, so I don't want to do the whole book. But give me one story from the book that's sort of illustrative of just you thought was one of the more interesting stories in the book so they have an understanding because what's great about the way charles writes at this book is that there's like points and tactics and then i like the story to sort of reinforce it that may and i for me facts tell stories sell i remember stories and so i like the way that you've weaved these into the work and that's why there's so many stories in there is yeah. because it's there's so much easier to remember so yeah. one of my favorite stories is is early in the book it's about jim lawler the cia yeah. agent it's so good so Jim, Jim is this guy who I've talked to a number of times. He, he's, he's awesome. He, um, he became a CIA officer when he was in his 30s, and he wanted this so bad. He, like, he struggled for the, like He just ran after this so hard. It was like he was desperate to be a CIA officer. Mm -hmm. They accept him. They send him off to training, and then they send him to Europe to recruit foreign assets, and he finds out he's the worst recruiter on earth. Like literally he <laughs> yeah. would go to like parties and he's and like, he couldn't make conversation. He would like try and buddy up with people. And they're like, you're a spy, aren't you? You're trying to get me to be a spy. They're like, I'm going to report you to the, to the authorities. You're going to get deported. So he's like freaking out. Cause he's like, I'm terrible at this. And then someone in his, in his office says, look, there's this woman coming into town. She's from the middle East. She works for the foreign ministry. Why don't you get to know her a little bit and see if there's anything there? So he bumps into her at a restaurant the next day, right? Bumps. Okay. And he introduces himself as an oil speculator, strikes up a conversation, takes her to lunch the next day. They start sightseeing together. He sort of develops a little bit of a relationship. He goes and he says to his boss, I think I'm recruiting this woman. I think she's going to be an asset for us. And then he, and his boss is like, that's fantastic. Good. I'm glad to hear it. He goes 
he has dinner with this woman, Fatma, and he says, I'm not an oil speculator. I work for the CIA. Now, Fatma had been telling him, she comes from a, he never told me which nation, but it's pretty obvious which one it is. She comes from a nation that recently had a religious theocracy revolution. And so the the fundamentalists have all taken over, and she hates it. She's like, she's like, they're making women wear hijabs. They're telling us we can't go to college. I want to fight this, but I don't know how. And so Jim Lawler says to her the most practical thing possible. He's like, we want the same thing you do. Like, we want... We want to free the people of your country. We want to empower women. Work for me for the CIA. And she grabs the table and starts shaking her head and she starts crying. And she goes, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And just has a meltdown. Mm. And she says, they kill people in my country for doing this. I cannot believe that you have put me at risk simply by striking up a friendship. Because if they ever find out you're in the CIA, they're going to think I'm in the CIA. And she just, she just bolts. And Lawler's like, ah, oh, I'm terrible at this. Like, I'm such a bad <laughs> recruiter. So he goes back to his boss and he tells him what happened. His boss is like, dude, I already told Washington, D.C. you recruited her as a spy. Like, like you're going to get fired if you can't close the deal on this. This is, this is your last chance. That's why we gave it to you. Mm-hmm. So Jim spends all this time trying to figure out how do I, what do I do? And he, he keeps on calling Fatima and eventually she picks up and he invites her to go to dinner. But it's a couple nights before she's going to fly back home. And she says yes because he says he'd take her to an expensive restaurant. And he has a notebook full, full of ideas on how to convert her. And he knows none of them are going to work. <laughs> like, you cannot trick someone into taking a suicidal risk. Right. Right? It's just not going to. So he goes to dinner and she's in a, she's really down because she's like, you know, I came to Europe. I thought I was going to learn something about how to how to be more myself or how to change the world. And I'm just going home and I'm the same person. And what he starts doing, trying to do is cheer her up. He tells her little stories. He um, d- reminisces about when they, you know, went sightseeing together and she just gets more and more glum. Mm-hmm. And finally dessert comes and they're kind of by themselves at the table. And Jim thinks to himself, like, should I try to like recruit her again? And he's like, if I do that, she's literally going to stand up and walk away. So what he decides to do is he decides, like, this isn't going to work. I'm giving up. I'm just going to have a real conversation. I'm going to be honest. And he starts saying to her, look, I know how you feel because I feel exactly the same way. I, like, I wanted this job my entire life, and it turns out I'm terrible at it. I am so disappointed in myself. And I don't know how I'm going to go home and tell my dad that, like, I failed. I got fired by the CIA. And he talks this way. Now, what he's doing, obviously, without even realizing it, is he's matching her. Matching. Right? She was she was glum, and he was trying to cheer her up. That's not matching. Yep. He was matching her, and she's she's listening to this, and she starts crying, and he's like, oh, I'm such a jerk. And in the CIA, you have to report every conversation, so he's going to have to write up a memo, and he's like, those guys are going to fire me within seconds. Like, they're just going <laughs> to laugh at it. And he reaches over, and he pats her arm, and he's like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to make you cry. I am sorry. Mm. And she says... No, no, I think I can do this. Wow. And then, and he's so inexperienced. He actually, the first things out of his mouth is like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to, like, because he wasn't trying to manipulate yeah. her. He was just trying he to. He finally be, wasn't. Yeah, right, he right. finally wasn't trying to manipulate her. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to put you at risk. You don't have to do it. And she's like, she says, no, no, what you want is important. I, I think we can do this together. So for the first time, she was able to hear him. She was able to hear all those things that he had said 
over weeks and weeks and weeks about helping the women of her country. She couldn't hear it until he matched her. Next day, she goes to a safe house. She gets trained in covert communications and other stuff. She's the best source in the Middle East for the next 20 years. Unbelievable. And Jim Lawler becomes one of the top recruiters in the entire <laughs> CIA. He teaches it today. It's one of the best stories ever. I, I so, love that so, story. Let's go, I'm going to pick it apart a little so people understand the dynamic in there. So when you say matching, was it that she was in an emotional conversation and he wasn't? Is that what you mean by that? That's a huge mean? part of it. Okay, is that, he was also vulnerable. But he was also vulnerable. So she was, okay. not, not only was she in an emotional conversation, but he was listening to the type of emotion that she was transmitting, right? Okay. Instead of saying like, oh, you shouldn't feel bad. I'm going to cheer you up. Yeah. He was saying like, look, you feel bad. Like, let's just acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And that matching feels good because mm -hmm. it feels like someone's hearing us. I think it's a huge thing. I don't ever like saying gender-specific stuff because I don't believe it, but I do think, by and large, those two elements, women are better at naturally, meaning I think they're more naturally vulnerable in a conversation than a man yeah. can be. I just, I, and I don't even like saying this, but I just, I think in general most people would agree with me. And then secondly... I think men try to fix things often, more often, so that when there is an emotional conversation you're in, we just want to fix it or solve the problem or be the savior or be valuable or be important yes. rather than just be with somebody and acknowledge and it, their emotion. it's not always men and women, right? Sure, but it, it's it definitely, not. It's definitely not, but it's more prevalent, I think. And, and I think what's happening there is we're following, falling back on what feels comfortable to us. Right, it is for sure. So, so if you're saying something emotional and I get super practical and it pisses you off, it's not so much that like, I actually think we should be practical. It's that I'm uncomfortable with emotion. There you go. And so I'm shying, I'm going back to my safe place. There you go. And, and actually that safe place is emotional, right? Like, yep. like, like the reason I'm trying to solve your problem is like, it really bothers me that you're upset. I don't know how to deal with the fact that you're upset. I want to make you feel better. I feel like that's my job and I feel like I'm letting you down and myself down. Yep. Like that is emotional, right? You're right. I'm just, percent. I'm just disguising it as a practical conversation because that's my, that's my safe space. That's my pattern. That's yeah. how I hide. Yeah. That's a zillion percent right. All right. I told you we're going to go a bit long, so we're going to. So. Absolutely. So, hey guys, you know, when I love technology and a great idea revolutionizes an old industry. And by the way, if there's an industry that needs a revolution, I think you'd agree with me. It's the healthcare industry. It's not easy to find good doctors. And by the way, good doctors that are in your area that also take your insurance. And that's why I love ZocDoc. They are revolutionizing the healthcare industry and the way you get access to doctors. ZocDoc, by the way, is Z-O-C-D-O-C. -O -C. Here's who they are. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Tons of different reviews on the doctors and they're local to you. You can find out if they take your insurance. I just did it for a tear I had in my shoulder. One day later, I'm in the doctor's office getting some help, getting an order for an MRI. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MyLet and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash MyLet. ZocDoc.com slash MyLet. Okay, let me ask you this. This is a hard one, and... and so I keep using the term nonverbal. I've used that. I, let me let me couch it a little differently. Okay. Literally nonverbal. Okay. So types of communication that are not done verbally. Meaning, okay. meaning email, mail, written, email, text, whatever. Yeah. I have found for me, if I'm transparent with people, I feel like I've I'm a pretty darn good verbal communicator. I've also found my friends that are hyperverbal people, in general, again another generality, 
aren't so good in the written word. And for some reason, when I write or text, it comes across as harsh, curt, um, sometimes aloof. I My writing style does not make the impact in text or email that my verbal style yeah. does. And I, I'm really not very good at that. So what about kip, tips or keys on that? So what's going on there? So so it's interesting. If we were having this conversation um, about 100 years ago, a little bit under 100 years ago, when phones first became popular, mm. what we would be talking about, and there were all these articles that said this, no one will ever be able to communicate on the telephone well. Because unless you can see someone, you're not going to figure out what's going on in their voice. You're, you're not like, yeah. like telephone communication is basically going to be for like sending over like grocery orders. Right. Now, you and I are both Gen X, right? Like. Yeah. When we were kids, we were on the phone for like seven hours a night. Hundred percent. I can have. I have a friendship. I have friendships where I only talk to the person on the phone. So do I. And I. I still remember the phone numbers of my friends yes. when I was a kid. I don't know anybody's phone number now, but I know Andy Quarren's phone number. Yes. You know? Right. Right. It's, it's like in there. <laughs> right. It's true. And so what's interesting is if if we were to watch ourselves talking on the phone, what we would find is that we behave a little bit differently on the phone. When you're on the phone, people tend to over enunciate because they know that they can't see us. Okay. Right. We tend to explain ourselves a little bit more. And when we make a joke, we laugh faster to let the other person know it's a joke. Mm -hmm. We know that they don't have the visual signal. And so we're trying to compensate by giving them wow. more audio. Wow. So, so good. now the thing is, we've been talking on the phones for over a over, uh, hundred years. We've been communicating face to face for millennia. The first email was sent in 1982, right? Mm -hmm. Most people didn't get an email account until the late 90s. We basically have 20 years of learning how to how to communicate digitally. Good point. We have not though the rules about how that channel is different have not become intuitive yet. Mm -hmm. So the solution is we have to think about it more when we're texting or emailing. Okay. And we have to say to ourselves, okay, and these are the tips. Okay. When I am online and I'm communicating that way, Politeness matters a lot more than when I'm face to face. Okay. And study after study has shown this, that if you say please and thank you in an email, there's like 70% higher response rate. Okay. Because, because I need to signal it, right? If I'm now, if I'm texting you, I can be short, mm -hmm. but if I send you an email and I treat it like a text, unless we're good friends, that's my problem. Like right it's going to, it's going to rub you the wrong way. Right. Mm -hmm. So part of it is just saying, what are the rules for this particular channel? Because our instinct is to say the rules for one channel is the rules for every channel. You're right. So we treat email and text and Slack and everything exactly the same way. But the truth is, if you just take a second and you say like, oh, I don't have to say please necessarily in this text because it could be short. But every email I should like bend over backwards to be a little bit more polite. Mm -hmm. It works wonders. Brother. I'm such a bad emailer. I, I'm so lazy with emails. I sometimes don't even put my name at the end of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Never mind a thank you. I think I'm the worst emailer that's ever lived. And I've had a lot of people, even that I've worked with, you know, even like in the podcast space, with like, man, when I met you, you're so nice and kind, but I read your emails, you're scary. <laughs> I'm like, really? I didn't mean it that way. I was just trying to get to the point so we could go do something else. I thought email was the faster way, but you're 100% right. The rules of engagement, so to speak, are something that I've been oblivious to. That and, right there was huge for me. And sometimes you can establish new rules, right? Like mm -hmm. if you say to your employees, like, mm -hmm. look, I just want you to know I'm going to send you brusque emails because, like, I'm moving a mile, million miles an hour. You should not read anything into that. Yeah. Now we know the rule. Well, now I've pre-framed it, but yeah. I don't do that. Yeah. And I, I treat everybody like they should know better, and they don't. And by the way, the worst thing I'll do is I'll get a nice, long, you know, 
six paragraph email and I reply with like seven words. Right. And right. I wonder why they feel dismissed. Yeah, in a conversation, that's my daughter. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. That's my that's the extent of my emails to people. <laughs> so my, you're a thousand percent right. My son texts me K. He doesn't even put okay. He just <laughs> right. puts K. I'm like, how much lazier can you get? <laughs> I relate to that. But that that setting the ground rules, setting like figuring out the rules together, we can do that in a conversation too. So if we're talking about say race, mm-hmm. right, which is a tough a sure. tough topic. If I start that conversation by saying, I'd like to talk to you about this, and I just want to acknowledge it's going to, it will likely be awkward. Mm-hmm. I will probably make mistakes and say things that I don't really, yeah. I'm not saying it the right way. You're probably going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, I think just as a, as a ground rule, like, let's just say it's okay to say things and forgive each other for Very like not good. getting it right. So now we've established the, now all of a sudden that conversation about race feels so much easier. Right. We're both open. We're both vulnerable. We've both given ourselves some space to make a mistake and share our real thoughts. And the other thing is, if you don't create that space, then you're really not saying what you really think either, and it's not an authentic exchange. That's exactly I agree. Right. When you ask for permission, um, I'm going to ask you two more things. Sure. Okay. You said earlier something about repeating back to someone, hey, what I think I heard you say was, help me understand this, right? Yeah. I love that and totally agree. So, so sorry, go ahead. You know, go ahead. Well, I want you to reply with that. And then also, what about the conversation's been over to me when I think when I feel the most listened to you and I had lunch together okay and you did that but 7 30 that night I get a message from you you're gone I'm gone and you say I just want to tell you something I enjoyed our conversation so much and the way that you spoke about your wife or what you shared about blah 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 I just want to tell you it was so meaningful for me to me that's like what you suggested on steroids that actually after the conversation has ended I come back later and say, not only have I listened to what you said, but I've been thinking about yeah. what you said, and it made a difference to me. I just want to share that I do that, and it, I think that's a way of me saying I really value and appreciate what we discussed. And it feels so good. Mm. I, I've gotten an email like that from you, and yep, like it felt right. really good to get it. And it was a great conversation, right. but like to know that it was meaningful to you, and it's much like laughing. It's mm. you saying, like, I want to connect. Like, you I'm, wanted to say something, and I think I jumped in front of it. Oh, yeah. I was just going to talk about this looping for understanding, these three. Yes. So so looping for understanding, there's three steps to it. You You ask a question, hopefully a deep question. Repeat back in your own words what you heard someone say. Okay. And then step number three, ask if you got it right. Ask if you got it right. Because, and it's that third step that we often forget to do and is the most powerful. Okay. Because what I'm saying when I ask you if I got it right, and I, I do this all the time. I'm like, I'm like, let me tell you what I hear you saying. And like, like, tell me if I'm getting this wrong. Is that we are saying to them, not only do I want to un- understand you, I acknowledge that I might have missed something, and you, you m- might have phrased it in a way mm. that doesn't actually capture what you want. And so, mm. like when someone says that to me, when they're like, "Tell me if I'm getting this right," and they repeat back what I just said, I actually find it valuable as the speaker because I'm like, "No, no, no, you like I did a bad job of explaining like the the thing that like I really care about because mm. you didn't pick up on it and you were listening. Mm. I need to get better at that, and That's that feels good. That's outstanding. All right, last question. First off, let me say this. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. And I, uh, both times we've had to interact together like this, it flies by for me. And frankly, that's because you're a super communicator. And, and, <laughs> As are you. As well, are thank you. you. And the quality of your work, listen, guys, there's a lot of books. This man doesn't write a ton of them because they're so good when he writes them. There's so much in here, even in today's podcast. Like, I hope you understand the value of getting good at these, what I would call almost nuances 
that make all the difference in the world. So this is a broad question, just framing it differently. Okay. I want to finish with it. This and thank is, you for that, by the it, way. It's true. It's true. And by the way, before I say it, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Depending on when you're listening to this, you'll pre-order it or get it after it's out February 20th, 2024. Here's the easy, easy one. I know when I've met, this is for you. You know when you've met a super communicator when? When you walk away from that conversation and you think like, oh man, I like that guy or I like that woman. Mm -hmm. This is the funny thing about a super communicator is that they do not stand out necessarily as like the most care. They're not built. Bill Clinton was a super communicator, mm -hmm. but most super communicators don't look like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or Donald Trump or like mm -hmm. all these people. When you walk away from a conversation and you feel better, exactly what you said at the beginning of this conversation, that like I judge the conversation based on how I feel afterwards. Yes. And and particularly if they do it so gracefully. And again, anyone can learn to do this. It's just a matter of practicing it to get graceful at it. It's mm -hmm. like it's like pitch like throwing a pitch, right? Like first couple of times it looks pretty janky and yep. then like yep. you get graceful at it. You just practice it. When they do that, you just feel like this person took care of you. Very good. Very true. Very true. It's what you feel. I'm going to tell you something else, guys. If you get good at this, your self-confidence level will be dramatically higher. This is one of the hacks, one of the roundabout hacks to developing tremendous self-confidence is the knowing that you're a super communicator. Yeah. And, and, and all the things we talk about, the listeners and the questions, you just absolutely operate your life with a higher degree of confidence because this is one of those four required skills that you need in life. So, And over 50% of people say that they feel anxious about talking to other people, right? Mm -hmm. I feel anxious talking to a stranger. I feel anxious going to parties. I feel anxious moving to a new place. Yeah. And just saying like, oh, no, 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 I got this. There's actually a study that was done by this Alison Wood Brooks at Harvard where she asked people to write down three topics to talk about mm -hmm. and then stick the card in their back pocket. It took like seven seconds, right? Mm -hmm. Then she had people have conversations with strangers. What she found is that those topics in people's back pocket almost never came up. Like they never, it was like, what do you think of last night's game? What mm -hmm. sh TV shows do you like, right? Yeah. The topics never came up, but the fact that people knew that they were in their back pocket brought down their anxiety enormously. And so much of, so much of miscommunication is because we're anxious about it, right? You're right, brother. Here's how you write. You just described my podcast. I write down 18 to 20 questions are in front of me right now. I've looked down at this sheet. I think once, I think I looked twice. Once I didn't read it. And the second time I looked, because it just gives me confidence that I'm prepared. But then it allows me to fully engage. I almost have a safety net, fully engage and just have an authentic exchange that goes back and forth. And I don't ever rely on any of the questions that are written down. So and, you're completely and that's what, right. That's what these skills are, right? Mm -hmm. It's a safety net. Like if there's a pause in the conversation and it's awkward, I know what to do. Ask a deep question. Just yeah. ask, like, what do you make of that? Yeah. Like, why'd you decide to do that? Mm -hmm. Like, once I have that in my back pocket, I'm like, oh, I can make it through this discussion. No problem. Thousand percent. I wish we didn't just make it through this. It was so good. I wish it was continuing. <laughs> Me like, too. Yeah, I really enjoy you. Um, I'm glad we're building a friendship. And uh, any book you write, you're coming back on. Oh, thank you. I yeah. really appreciate it. And, yeah. and thank you to your listeners. Like, yeah. I, I have benefited so much from listening from your show. You. Like, you bring these people on with these ideas that are so powerful. And it just... They you're, make them easier to consume. You're one of them, brother. Super communicators. Go get it, you guys. Hey, listen. Share this show. We're the fastest growing show on the planet for a reason, and it only grows when you share it. And I love doing it. It's an honor to be with you every single week, and I'd like to just be with more of you. So please share the show. God bless you. Max out your life. This is The Ed Marlin Show.